Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Simbox Presents Let's Talk Boxing with your hosts, Luke and Ewan. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Simbox Presents Let's Talk Boxing. I'm your host, Luke Carney, and as always, I will be joined by my co-host, Mr. Ewan Breeze. And before we get underway with today's episode, I would just like to let our listeners know that you can check us out across social media. And we're on Twitter, at Simbox. We're on Instagram, at Sim underscore Box. And you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Simbox Boxing. We provide daily updates, breaking news, and debate all things boxing. First things first, Ewan, how's things with yourself? Yeah, all good, mate, all good. Getting to uh, what is a stacked fight week Monday onwards. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got a couple of shows to look back on. Uh, we've got a couple of shows to look forward to. Uh, it's been a really, really busy week. And as, as, as big fans of boxing, you know, I remember the times when the, the podcast first started back in, in, in the original lockdown, lockdown one, shall we say. And, you know, we, we was was grasping at straws in, in terms of what to say. And, you know, you know, no matter which way you look, you know, whether it's YouTube, whether it's BT, uh, Sky Sports, Fight TV, Premier Sports, you know, there's boxing across the spectrum and a and, and long way this continue. And like you say, it's a busy week. Uh, plenty of news to look back on. You know, there's a couple of things that I want to touch on before we get into our reviews and previews. Uh, one that I'm sure our listeners will be interested to get your take on. The the whole Wilder versus Tyson Fury. Will it happen? Won't it happen? Uh, the, the conspiracies, the water, the suit. You and give us your take on it. George Foreman once famously said, sure, the fight was fixed. I fixed it with the right hand. And I think that that's the only thing that happened in the first fight. And that's all I'll make comment. But my only comment really is, I am genuinely a little bit worried about uh, Deontay Wilder's space, uh, headspace at the moment. You know, he's, he's talking like somebody who is in denial, is paranoid, is, is suffering some sort of mental health issue. So I don't want to rail on him and take the mickey. And I, I know I did a little bit at the beginning, but... It's so ridiculous. It's so out there. It's so crazy that I genuinely am concerned for him. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I think the word for me is absurd. You know, given you know the, the first fight was was a fury win. You know, it got obviously officially it's a draw, but there's not many people that will tell you that uh, Wild deserved to get a share of the spoils there. And the second fight, as conclusive as you're going to get. You know, we've touched on this time and time again on the podcast, but. I, I still don't see the, the the need for a third fight, and the fact that you know that that was written into the contract uh, before the second fight. Um, you know, given had Wilder knocked Fury out as emphatic as what he was knocked out by Fury, um, there still would have been no need uh, for for this third fight. And it's not like you know we're talking about the the, the scores are leveled at one each, and we need that rubber matches. It's just not needed, and the fact that you know, as you say, Wilder's in some sort of denial, whether he's like in the wrong headspace, whether he you know. He, he has issues going on. Who knows? You know, if if that is the case, then we wish him all the best. But we can only see what we we can see on social media nowadays, such as the the modern world, and it's it's just absurd. That's the word that keeps coming back to me. And you know, hopefully, he gets gets himself straight. You know, there's people debating whether or not Wilder ever steps in the ring again. Never mind fights for a world title. You know, there's, if he doesn't take on Tyson Fury next, I'm not too sure where he goes. Box that needs to rebuild. He's always going to be that one trick pony with the biggest trick in the book. So he's never going to be one of those that's going to go back to the drawing board and reinvent himself and and come back and and try something new, uh, you know, in eighteen months or two years. He's he's always going to be the power puncher. He's always going to have that spectacular punch power. So I'm not really sure where we go with Deontay Wilder. No, exactly. And he's he's 35 years of age. He's not in that position where it's just a bump in the road. You know, it, it's the end of the road. You know, this is when he has to be having those big fights. His only hope is to get in again against Tyson Fury and land that big right hand. And if you can't even admit you got beat, you know, we look at Andy Josh was the prime example. You know, Andy Ruiz did a number on him. But what did he do? He didn't make a single excuse. He got he got in the gym. He went, came back and he won the immediate rematch. Dante Wilder's made every excuse in the book and then and then turned down the third fight. You know, it's everything you don't want to see from a prize fighter heading into that rematch. You know, we've we've been through this a hundred times. Some fighters can deal with that loss. Some fighters can't. And I don't think Deontay Wilder can deal with it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that we will touch on in the future, you know, because this is certainly something that's not going away. Um, I can see it being drawn out. I can see there being, you know, maybe a court case, if, if, if that's the case, if Wilder thinks he's been uh, hard done by. But yeah, that's certainly something we'll come back to in the future because it is by far not finished. Uh, another thing, and it's something that cropped up today, actually, and, you know, we've put a couple of tweets out there on the Simbox Twitter feed. Uh, it's only a strong rumour at the minute, you know, nothing confirmed, but we, as boxing fans, we can cross our fingers and live in hope, of course. And this is, Rumoured to form a, a brilliant double header, and I'm alluding to the rumoured uh, again fight between uh, Canelo Alvarez and Callum Smith, and that is looking to be partnered up as a double header. So the rumours say with Ryan Garcia against Luke Campbell, which if we get that on December 19th, you know that, that really is Christmas come early. Absolutely, that's pay per view all over the world. I absolutely, uh, I absolutely love that fight. I've been calling for it since since Jeddah, since uh, Callum Smith became. The, uh, the Ring Magazine world champion at super middleweight. I think that Callum Smith is the best super middleweight in the world and Canelo Alvarez has to go through him to prove it, uh, prove that he isn't. You know, I think Canelo Alvarez, he beat Rocky Fielding for WBA regular belt. That means nothing. Callum Smith has the WBA belt. If he wants to be a super middleweight, he has to go through Callum Smith and I can't wait to see that fight. I think it's going to be a fantastic fight if it happens. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as always, if that fight comes off, we will give it... Uh, it's, it's due diligence and we will break it down in, in more depth. But I'm really intrigued to see Colin Smith, you know, really take on uh, one of the pound for pound top ranked boxers. You know, there's, there's, there's more questions than answers with Colin Smith at the minute. You know, for a long time, he was the golden boy of British boxing, the, 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 the guy that was going to be the next one to break through, you know, when we had Carl Froch and, and James DeGale and George Groves at super middleweight. And Colin Smith was just in their shadow and, you know, he broke through with that victory against George Groves. But then people's questioning, was it George Groves at his best or was he past it? You know, and he's, he's then beat uh, Hassan Dam on the AJ Ruiz one undercard, which, you know, it, it was a spectacular knockout win, but Dam wasn't the greatest of opponents. And then he's had the controversial victory over John Ryder. Some people say controversial, you know, depending on how you look at the fight. And I just still think that, like I say, there's... There's more questions than answers at the minute. Colin Smith is undoubtedly a fantastic talent. He's approaching 30 years of age. You know, he's in the prime of his career. He's always in fantastic shape. And yeah, I just, I just want to see him in these telling fights. And let's, let's see if he fulfills that potential because it's undoubtedly, you know, a highly skilled, big punching, technically gifted boxer. And let's see him in there and test his skills against the very best. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The only other comment really is uh, about the business side of things. And I know we don't like to go on about the business side of things, but it, it's uh, it's bizarre that in a week where fighters have started to fall out with promoters, both Callum Smith's trainer manager, Joe Gallagher, and then Canelo and his manager, Eddie Reynoso, have both fallen out with Eddie Hearn and uh, Golden Boy, respectively, that suddenly we get rumours of a fight. You know, it, it seems like do we need, really need promoters at all? I don't know. I think it reflects poorly on both Oscar De La Hoya and Eddie Hearn in terms of their, in terms of their ability to put fights together. But um, obviously, it's not officially announced, but time will tell, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we keep our fingers crossed for that. So let's get into the meat and bones of it. You know, the, the, we've got plenty to review and then we've got a couple of shows to preview. Um, starting off on Tuesday night this week, Tuesday night fight night, we had the Ultimate Boxer, the Super Middleweight Edition, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really exciting format and, you know, I've got to take my hat off to the guys that box, you know, I speak to the guys regular uh, through our social media channels and I think they're, they're really trying to reinvent that format. You know, we used to have the, the prize fighter with Matchroom uh, and, and this is just a, like a really modern take on it. You know, they've really embraced the social media era uh, and they put a lot of content out there. They're really interactive and, and the, the actual production of the show as well was, was uh, really well done. You know, and given that they had a few boxes pull out with, you know, the the, the inevitable positive COVID test. You know, Ben Ridings, who we was behind as well. You know, we're good friends of Ben Ridings and Karen Farrell's Karen Farrell, sorry, his promoter. He he tested positive as well. And you know, the the lineup was ravaged from when it was first announced to what we actually got on Tuesday night. But you know, the the they put on a good show. There was some good action, and yeah, I was I was, I was pleasantly surprised and I'm reasonably impressed. Absolutely, absolutely. I like tourn- I like tournament fighting. I'm not I'm not averse to it in any way. I quite like the the innovation of it, and I think it adds to the it, it fits the the kind of soundbite short video clip world we live in. That that it suits that era, and I think that the guys at Boxer are really jumping behind it. Obviously, we were gutted that Ben couldn't fight, but you've got to take your hat off that they had more than one pullout. They had the British Boxing Board of Control change the ru- ruling on the final on the night. 
and yet they cracked on through it and they managed to sort it all. Um, you have to take your hats off because everything, the world, the universe tried to derail that show about eight times and they put it on and we got a good night of boxing and we got an emergent star in Zach Chelly. So I think that credit to the guys, at, at, it's boxer now, not ultimate boxer, but they're doing an incredible job. And to be fair, in spite of everything, they put on a great Tuesday night fight. Yeah, absolutely. So we, what, what we was left with on Tuesday night, we had the, the four-man tournament, as, as you mentioned there, Zach Chelly, we had Georgiev, uh, Vladimir Georgiev, sorry, Mike McGoldrick and Harry Woods, with Harry Woods and Mike McGoldrick being the latest of the standing uh, uh, boxers. And obviously, uh, Vladimir Georgiev at the, the very last minute stepping in for Ben Ridings. And as you say, Zach Chelly was really impressive. You know, he, he boxed uh, beautifully in the first fight, you know, didn't, didn't really get out of second gear and, and, and took the first fight over three rounds. And then we was treated to, you know, a, a real old fashioned dust up with uh, Mike McGoldrick and, and Harry Woods, you know, the, the, the old-fashioned boxer versus puncher and whose style would prevail. And, you know, going off your activity on social media, I know you was a big fan of that fight as well. Uh, local lad to yourself in Mike McGoldrick. Yeah, yeah, he's just from down the road from me, Mike McGoldrick. But what a performance he put on. He really, he, he didn't just old man him. He, he kind of, he turned back the clock, you know. He's he's inexperienced in the pro game, but he's experienced in life. You know, he's in his, in his mid-30s now, but... I, I was really impressed with him. You know, Harry Woods has got a good amateur background. He was, he's fought on the England team. You know, he was expected to win that fight and it'd be him versus Zach Chelly in the final. But McGoldrick put in a, a really gutsy performance and they really went toe-to-toe and embraced that 3-3s format, you know, in that you don't have to worry about your stamina. You've just got to stick, dig your heels in and uh, and throw bombs. I thought it was a great first fight. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as, as we say in the finals, Zach Chelly was... Uh... You know, would we say lucky with the, with the layout, with the fact that he had his fight first, so he had a longer rest maybe, who knows. But he certainly had an easier first fight in the semi-final against Georgiev than Mike McGoldrick had in his semi-final with Harry Woods. So then when we did get to the final, you know, you could tell that Mike McGoldrick wasn't at 100%. You know, how could he be? You know, I think he had 20, 30 minutes rest at most before getting back in there with Zach Chelly, who would look like he just went for a 10-minute stroll in, in comparison and, you know, he went on to stop Mike McGoldrick with a couple of knockdowns and I think it was a body shot in the end that, that finished it. But, you know, he emerges with a golden robe and, you know, he signs a promotional deal with Boxer now. And yeah, it's, it's really exciting times. And, you know, I think he's, what is he, 22? He's, he's 9-1-1 one one now after the tournament. So really exciting times. And, you know, in, in, in such a strong division domestically, you know, I think he's looking at the British title and maybe moving on to the European title. Just 22 years of age, it's all in front of Zach Chiller. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you could have given Mike McGoldrick a week's rest. You know, I'm a massive fan of the fella, but could have given him a week's rest. He's not beaten Zach Chelly. Zach Chelly was the favourite for a reason because of how good this kid is. And he's only 22 and he's got all the talent in the world. You know, we all saw him beat Jack Cullen on uh, fight camps. I know he didn't get that decision. He got a draw. But, you know, if you can beat Jack Cullen and then you can go in and win a boxer tournament, you know, what, what can't you do? You know, he's at 22 years of age, he's exactly where you'd want him as a promoter. And I think he's got a really, really bright future in uh, the British super middleweight division. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think for me, moving forward, you know, for Chelly would, would certainly be the winner of a fight that we will touch on later on uh, in, in John Doherty and Jack Cullen, which takes place this Saturday. I think, you know, as you say, a lot of people had Zach winning that first fight with uh, Cullen back in, in the summer. And I'm, I'm sure he'll want to run that back. And, you know, the Cullen Doherty fight promises to be an entertaining bout. And again, we'll touch on that later. But I think that's the, the, the natural choice for, for the next opponent for Zach Chelly. Uh, also on the card, uh, a couple of exciting fights, a couple of exciting prospects, both undefeated. You know, we had Cruiserweight, we had uh, Mikel Lawal. He won over six rounds against Ozzy Javier. You know, it wasn't the most spectacular performances, you know, given that he was a, a previous winner of the boxer tournaments at Cruiserweight and, you know, he scored a lot of knockouts and he's, he's, he looked big and strong and powerful. This this journeyman or this this opponent in Javier, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a tough man. He, he knows his way around the ring and, you know, he, he survived for the six rounds. You know, I think he, he picked up one of the rounds as well. You know, I'm not too sure, but I think for Lawal, he's got all the physical attributes. Um, and maybe, you know, if we see him stepped up in class, we might see more from him. Uh, but again, another exciting prospect and, and one that's got a bright future. Yeah, every time you turn around, there's a new exciting British cruiserweight. You know, he didn't light the world on fire at the weekend, but he's got all the physical attributes, you know. 
you can you can teach you know you can teach a kid with no physical attributes how to box and he's still not going to be an amazing boxer but to get an athlete like Lowell and really work on him getting cuter and getting a bit more accurate and getting a bit more tight with his punches you know he can be a really exciting addition you know we've got the likes of at that sort of level we've got the likes of Sam Hyde Dion Juma obviously then slightly above that you've got Billum Smith and React Poor you know it's a burning hot division in British boxing and Lowell's throwing his hat in the ring and why not? You know, he's he's only improving. He's only a young lad and he's going to push forward. You know, that, that division is really exciting. You've got Craig Glover in there as well, who I mentioned uh, might be an next opponent for Lowell. I think that's a great fight. It's a really, really red hot division in the British uh, in the British ranks at the moment. Yeah, most definitely. We look forward to that. Uh, also on the card, uh, spectacular. Maybe maybe the, the, the performance of the night was from Florian Marku, the undefeated welterweight. He was managed by Sam Jones. The Albanian king, he usually has uh, a raucous support. You know, he's, he's hugely popular. But given that we're fighting behind closed doors, we didn't get to uh, experience that this time around. But, you know, he, he beat Moemba in the, the first round. I think he scored three knockdowns and he was brutal. He was powerful and, and he was brutally efficient. You know, really, uh, really impressed. And he's another one that's lining himself up, although he's not British. He's based over here. So he's going to be looking at the likes of... Kind of Ben was mentioned, and I think you mentioned yourself, Chris Congo, and there's Luther Clay. There's at that level, you know, there's, there's a lot of good fights to be made. You know, where the winner goes on and the, and the loser rebuilds. And Florian Marquez is, is most definitely in in the mix with British-based welterweights. Absolutely, absolutely. I was thoroughly impressed, but more impressed than his fighting. I was impressed by him on the mic because. Endlessly, I have I've listened to a thousand interviews where it's oh I'll fight whoever Eddie wants me to fight or whoever Sam Jones wants me to fight or whoever's next. I don't want those interviews. I want a big name to come out of your mouth because then you're a marketable star. You're the one that will get you know. There's a reason why Conor McGregor is like the way he is. He's not the best fighter in the UFC, but every time he fights, every time he wins, there's a name on his tongue. And Florian Marku did that. He said Conor Ben. You know, he got a big name. He called him out. He insulted him. He said he was only famous because of his dad. And then that's how you get big fights and that's how you get a big profile. I was so impressed with Florian Marker on the mic. Yeah, most definitely. I think he's, re- he's really well spoken. As you say, you know, he, he, with Sam Jones behind him, he's, he's, he's going to have like a really good social media presence as well, you know, and he's going to be well in tune with how to self-promote as well as be part of a bigger team as he will be with uh, S-Jam Boxing. So yeah, he's certainly one to, to keep an eye on. And, you know, just as a, a final touch to... The boxer, you know, as much as we say we felt like he was in tune with the modern era and the, the, you know the, the snappiness and the social media presence, one of the, the, the little touches that I liked was the commentary duo of Steve Bunce and Polly Malinaji. You know, fountains of boxing knowledge, and I was really enjoyed just sitting back and watching the fights and and listening to those two guys talk boxing, which I think I mentioned on social media. You know, I could listen to those two guys talk boxing all night long. Yeah, we all love a bit of Big Buncey. Sometimes he doesn't show up, but uh, the man's an absolute <laughs> fountain of knowledge. Like He's a fountain of knowledge, like you say. you know, he's, I've read his book, uh, The Big big Fat Short History of British Boxing, and he's a historian as well. He knows what he's talking about. You know, He's a, a proper, proper British boxing man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, So, yeah, we look forward to, to continuing watching the Boxer Journey, you know, the promotional outfit they put on their own show. So we'll look forward to, to next year and the next instalment. So let's move on to uh, Wednesday night, you and... We had the MTK Global, another young promotional outfit, if you like, you know, and they, they, they really are attached to themselves. Some of the biggest names in world boxing, you know, Tyson Fury is affiliated, Billy Joe Saunders is affiliated. Uh, this week, they linked up with a young American welterweight in Virgil Ortiz Jr., which is a huge move, uh, which could pay dividends in the future. Uh, and they had their show uh, on Wednesday night. Yeah, what what a week when you've got we've not even got to Thursday yet. We've had two boxing shows in this country. It's uh, it is unprecedented time, but it's also unprecedented in a good way as well because we've got boxing and we've got it in abundance. Absolutely, you know, and I think it was it was you know well matched card. You know, there was some undefeated prospects on there. There was uh, you know undefeated fighters against undefeated fighters. There was uh, Danny Muriel was on there. The young. Dave Allen, protege, you know, he picked up his maiden win, but was there any particular performance of the night on the MTK show that stood out for yourself, Ewan? Yeah, the one that really stood out for me was was the main event. You know, obviously, Macaulay McGowan, everybody knows he's a, he's a great, great guy, but, um, you know, the uh, the guy who's fighting Kulakmet, the, the Kazakh guy, was unbelievable. You know, he, he was he had the beating of McGowan from the first bell to the last. He was he was strong, powerful, big for the weight. I thought he looked really, really exciting in... Uh, 
in his kind of debut in British soil. Yeah, absolutely. Clement was was you know really really efficient. I think you know he's he was a tad eager to impress. You know from the early bell, he was putting a lot of pressure on McGowan, and you know he looked in the southpaw stance and he was controlling the fight with his feet. You know that front foot was putting off the ring like unbelievably well, and McGowan was was trapped against the ropes for the first few rounds. And you know I think that Clement, you know he's he's two and zero now. He's he's got the WBC international super welterweight title. You know he's boxing at ten rounds in his second fight, which is. You know, an accomplishment in itself. And his first fight was an eight rounder against a six and one opponent. You know, his second fight's a ten rounder against a fourteen oh and one opponent. You know, they really are uh, confident in a matchmaking ability. And you know, he's not put a foot wrong yet. No, exactly. There's something in the water out there. I'm convinced of it. Yeah. Also on the card, you know, a fight that stood out for myself was uh, again two undefeated uh, prospects, if you like, it was Jack Martin against Indabasi. Uh, Indabasi was a much taller, much ranger uh, opponent uh, for, for Jack Martin, but you know the shorter guy got on the inside and you know he roughed him up. And for me, that that was the fight of the night. I think it was over six rounds, if I remember correctly. And yeah, I just thought it was a really good trade fight. You know, like I mentioned earlier on, uh, the, when these prospects clash, you know, Jack Martin moves on, he progresses, and Indabasi just you know regroups, gets himself back in the gym, and he, he can come again. You know, by no means is it the end of the road, but this is what. What we get when you put in prospect against prospect, you, you know, you guarantee a, a good fight. You find out who the real fighters are, and and then that was certainly the case with that fight. And also on the card, uh, Jack Rafferty, Manchester boxer himself, he, he picked up a win against Tom Hill. That was a great fight over eight rounds. And also on the card was uh, Louis Edmondson, Billy Joe Saunders' protege. He he was dominant over, I think it was four rounds against Scott Williams, who's a very accomplished away fighter and. You know, Edmondson just done enough in each round to, to win the fight without really getting out of first gear. Uh, but he's another one with a big a big support. And, and when things finally get back to normal, I'm sure we'll see a lot more of, of Lou Edmondson. Yeah, exactly. But this is one of the things that I love is that on, on a random Wednesday night, British boxing had prospect versus prospect, 50-50 matchups, exciting fighters, you know, on a Wednesday night, you know, it shows how healthy British boxing is. We've got young, exciting professionals coming up, willing to fight each other. In the United States, they get to 25-0 and 0 before they've had a real fight. You know, these guys at 2-3-0 and 0 are having real fights against 2-3-0 and 0 guys. You know, it, it shows how healthy British boxing is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, you know, forgive me, there was one name that I missed off the list there, and arguably he's the biggest prospect that was on that show in, in Paddy Donovan, uh, the, the Irishman, undefeated Irishman. Yeah, there's a lot of noise around him. He's, you know, he's linked up with MTK Global, but he's also backed by top rank over in America. Um, he's he's got Andy Lee in his corner, who, you know, is is a boxing man through and through. Uh, Paddy Donovan, huge noise about him on social media. Every time he fights, there's there's opinions about him. There's a lot of rumbling, and and he certainly wants to keep an eye on. And he, again, he won, you know, a reasonably competitive fight. You know, I think he said he wanted to get a couple of rounds in. He wasn't rushing anything, and he looked good over over the rounds and, and picking up the win. And again, he moves on and with top rank behind him, Andy Lee in his corner, a really exciting prospect. Absolutely. I can't think of many people you'd want in your corner over Andy Lee. Yeah, most definitely. So that's the reviews done. Uh, we move on to the previews. And first off, you know, this arguably could be fight of the week, uh, given that, you know, that it's, it's a British title fight. It's a real trade fight. It's a real hardcore boxing fight, fans fight. And uh, I'm alluding to the, the, the Frank Warren show uh, on BT Sport on Friday night. It's headlined by Mark Efron, 25-1-1, against Denzel Bentley, 13-0-1. And the draw on each man's ledger, of course, came against each other back in September in what was a, a really, really great fight. You know, And I think it was, it was quite unique in the fact that it was a unanimous draw across all three judges' scorecards. You know, the, All three judges gave it a draw. Uh, this time they go back at it again. You know, There's a bit of needle there. There's a bit of, you know, I won the fight. No, I won the fight. And with the British title on the fight, it just on the line, sorry, it really elevates it up to that next level. And it, I think it's a great fight. Absolutely. I'm so, so glad that this has got a British title on the line because it's everything you want in a British title fight. So first of all, and I keep saying it, and I said it in my article, massive shout out to Liam Williams because he's recognised he's at world level. These lads deserve a British title. So first of all, well done to him. But then we get a fantastic British title fight. You know, you've got Denzel Bentley, who is a slick boxer with massive power. And then you've got the workhorse in Mark Efron, a proper throwback fighter, a pressure fighter, hard puncher. And he won't let up. So it's 
it's that clash of styles that we saw in the first fight, but it's who's improved in the last nine weeks. It's who can. Can Denzel Bentley land that power and land it cleaner? Can Mark Efron keep that pressure on and disrupt Denzel's work? It's such an intriguing fight. I can't wait for this one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, like, as you mentioned there, you know, it really is a clash of styles, you know, and it's such a an easy boxing uh, terminology to use, you know, but the, these guys just gel and then you have, you know, everyone doesn't stop coming forward, you know, he's always in shape and Denzel Bentley's, you know, he's adept to fighting on the back foot, you know, and he, he can, he maybe is the cleaner, more slicker boxer of the two, uh, but it's, it's about making that cleaner work show, you know, because sometimes the judges can look and see the pressure fighter and, you know, the busier fighter and, and sometimes, you know, they lean towards uh, that that kind of performance, if you like. And that's certainly what Mark Efron offers. You know, he's, he's got the one defeat on his record and that was, of course, against Lee Williams when he did step up and he was stopped in the 10th round of their fight. Um, but he's rebuilt since then, you know, and he's, he's, he's put himself up there as one of the leading contenders of, of, of the British middleweight division. And yeah, it's a real pick and fight. I can't split them. I really can't. You know, I couldn't split them the first time around and, this time it's even closer. Absolutely, absolutely. I scored it one round to Bentley, but what happened is Bentley switched off. But I had Bentley a few ahead and then he switched off and you can't switch off when you're in there with a guy like Mark Heffron. Mark Heffron will fight, will drag you into deep waters and find out what you're made of. And that's what he did to Denzel Bentley and that's why Denzel Bentley didn't win the fight. If Mark Heffron can do that and do it again and do it with even more intensity, he'll win. If Denzel Bentley can be at his best for 12 rounds and not switch off, he'll win. It's so competitive. And again, I would hesitate to make a prediction because they're so evenly matched. Yeah, most definitely. I think the most exciting thing is and the, is the, the, the potential in 2021 for more great fights. You know, you get the likes of Felix Cash in and around that, that, that middleweight division. You know, you get Danny Dignam, uh, the, he's in there as well. And uh, Linus uh, Udovia, who, who won recently on the matchroom card. You know, so I think it's not only is this a great fight, it also is going to lead on to more British title fights further down the line that are going to be really evenly matched. And as boxing fans, we can't ask for much more. You know, I love a good British title fight. You know, it's a, pre- a prestigious title um, and it, it deserves great fights. And fingers crossed, that's what we're going to get with this fight on Friday and moving to 2021 as well. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a belt that, you know, Randolph Turpin, the Sugar Ray Robinson conqueror held, that Alan Minter held. You know, you've got to look back through history and the British middleweight title carries a lot of weight, carries the weight of history with it. And and these lads are a part of that history on Friday night. Yeah, absolutely. So on the undercard, you know, which again is unfortunately been affected massively uh, by, by the, the, the COVID situation, the pandemic situation. You know, there's been fighters pulling out, there's been fights being cancelled, there's been last minute replacement fighters being pulled out and even later replacement fighters being lined up. But, you know, at the head of the list is Tommy Fiore. You know, he's got a huge social media uh, platform given that he was you know in, in, involved with Love Island and of course I think he's got a big brother that's fairly well known I think he's some sort of heavyweight champion maybe I'm not too sure uh, but yeah he's got a really big uh, following and he's, he's the head of the queue in terms of the undercard on Friday yeah and you can see why you know when you are a crossover star like Tommy Fury you know he's everybody in Britain knows who he is because of his Love Island you know he's He's a self-promoter, a businessman, the same way I was talking about Florian Markey. He sold himself. Why not? You know, he is the younger brother of the best heavyweight on the planet. Um, and therefore, he, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he comes with a level of profile, but he's then boosted his own profile. You know, there's teenage girls out there who, who don't know who Tyson Fury is, who don't know who Deontay Wilder is, but they can tell you exactly what, when Tommy's fighting because of the Love Island thing. You know, it's going to increase his profile massively and it helps boxing because it puts eyeballs on the sport. And I think I wish Tommy Fury the best of luck on Friday night because I think more eyeballs on boxing is better for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. And then we've got some of the undefeated prospects of the, the Frank Warren stable, you know, Henry Turner, Mickey Book, and Aguiarco in the middleweight division as well, you know. So, you know, they've they got to be in the most competitive of fights, but, you know, getting a run out this side of Christmas is always good um, for these guys. You know, we've already boxed behind closed doors and, you know, that, that makes up the card and, you know, it's, 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 it's a great main event. Uh, Tommy Fury is going to bring a lot of eyes, as you say, and, you know, fair play to Frank Warren for putting these shows on. You know, we've, of course, we've got the Daniel Dubois, uh, George Joyce fight, which I'm really, really looking forward to and really looking forward to breaking that down in a future episode of Let's Talk Boxing. But, you know, that's free to wear as well. And, you know, we've also got the Anthony Yard against London Arthur fight, you know, so Frank Warren really is pulling them out of the bag, you know, and, and, and fair play to him for that. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And just the last word on Agiaco, I think this kid's special. I think he's, he spars with Billy Joe Saunders, and I think he'll be wanting to steal the show with a big knockout on there Friday. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly one to keep an eye on. So, also this weekend, you know, we move over to Saturday night. You know, again, plenty of boxing on. You really can't get enough of this. But Matchroom are going with a triple world title, uh, a female world title triple header. You know, and, and and the main event. You know, the the Katie Taylor. You know, the undisputedly the best pound for pound female boxer on the planet. You know, she's a trailblazer. You know, the, you run out of superlatives to throw at the lady. You know, she's she's an unbelievable boxer. She's an icon of, of Irish boxing. You know, she's got the Olympic background behind her with a gold medal. And and she's not put a foot wrong, arguably, as a, as a professional. You know, she's undisputed at lightweight. She moved up to super lightweight and won a world title there. She had a, a disputable victory over uh, Delphine Passoon. And then she, she went back and she defeated her in, in a more comfortable fashion in, in fight camps. You know, a really, really big fan of Katie Taylor. Yeah, she's the greatest female boxer of all time, and she's back out. And we should be uh, we should be realizing that we're watching something special. And as women's boxing charges towards parity with the male side of the game, which it is doing, Katie Taylor will be remembered as the person most influential and important in that. So, you know, whether she's in a great fight on Saturday, I don't know. But we need to re- realize that we're watching greatness and we're watching history when we watch Katie Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as much as we build up Katie Taylor, you know, and we say that female boxing is. Uh, coming up to almost a level playing field with their male counterparts, you know there is still that kind of lack of depth, if you like, and, and it, it throws up the, the the intangibles. And you know, across the ring from Katie Taylor at weekend, we've got uh, Miriam Gutierrez, who's thirteen and zero. You know, she's not put a foot wrong herself. She's not tasted defeat. She's not, you know, she's not lost. Uh, but she's not really fought anybody of note. You know, anyone near the class of of Katie Taylor. You know, so it's. it's one of those, you know, she could turn up and she could be a real hidden gem that this is a breakout moment and she could give Katie Taylor hell. Um, or she could be found out and, and be really out of a depth. We just don't know. Um, <clears throat> that could be an intriguing prospect. It could be a car crash. Who knows, you know, because Katie Taylor is that good, you know. Um, and and it's, it's very unlikely that anyone's going to match her, you know, pound for pound, skill for skill. Uh, but in Miriam Gutierrez, you know, this is the fight of her life. It's a massive platform and, you know, I'm sure she'll give it a lot. Uh, all. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, she's never fought outside Spain. The only undefeated fight she's fought was a debutante. There's not a great deal you can look at in terms of Gutierrez's pedigree. And that's one of the things that is the, 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 the thing we're left wanting for in women's boxing is that depth, that competition. But it is coming and it is coming. We look at the, the co-main event and we can see that, you know, Terry Harper's coming off the back of a very hard world title fight. And so it is coming and it is Go heading in that direction, but I'm not sure we're there yet. Yep, so let's move on to the second world title fight on the bill. Uh, Terry Harper, 10-0-1-1 against uh, Katharina Thanders. Uh, this is the WBC Super Featherweight and IBO Super Featherweight world title fight, you know, and uh, Terry Harper, uh, you know, she's she's got a, a big backing. She works with Steffi Bull, of course, and, you know, he she had a clash with uh, Tasha Jonas back in fight camps, which was a great fight, you know, and it's really, really hotly disputed who won that fight, given that it was a draw. I was really hoping for the rematch to happen the back end of this year. You know, it's not happened. She's taken on a mandatory challenger. You know, Joe Gallagher has a lot to say about that, as he has a lot of things. But in Terry Harper, you know, she's 23, 24 years of age nearly, and, you know, she's she's a great fighter in her own right. And, you know, I hope that the, the fact that, you know, the the Tasha Jonas fight was slightly controversial, doesn't hinder her progress because she's a fantastic fighter in her own right. And, you know, I'm really looking for her to, to make a statement against uh, Thanders on Saturday night and, and, and move into 2021 and maybe get that rematch with Tasha Jonas or maybe even move up in weight. Who knows? You know, it's, it's, it's really intriguing. Uh, but yeah, big fan of Terry Harper. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a massive fan of Terry Harper. And I, I was rooting for Tasha Jonas and I thought Tasha Jonas won the fight. But that doesn't detract from how much of a fan of Terry Harper I am. She's only young. She's got all the talent in the world. She can bang. She can really hit very hard. And I think that Terry Harper is the future of British boxing uh, for the women. I think she is really, really up there. You know, obviously Tasha was coming towards the end of her career, and I thought she she did enough. But that doesn't matter on Saturday night for Terry Harper. She's got to prove that she's the best in the world. That she earned that world title belt and that she's defending it. 
Um, and I think Thandres, you know, again, it's one of those, she's a bit of an unknown quantity, but undefeated, it's for a unification world title fight. So why not go for it? You know, I, I think that Terry Harper can only do what's asked of her and Katrina Th- uh, Th- uh, Thandres is what's asked of her. So as long as you can do a number, you know, onwards towards 2021 and hopefully that rematch with Jonas. Yeah, absolutely. And giving you know, one thing that... The- I wouldn't say he's overlooked, but I think with, with Terry Harper, you know, when we say that there's not a lot of um, strength and depth in, in each division, you know, you look at her record and she's her last three fights with Natasha Jonas, who was, you know, a Miss GB uh, team member, you know, a standout um, amateur pedigree, you know, and then before that fight, she was a unanimous decision victor over uh, Eva Wallstrom. And then before that, it was Vivian Obanoff, you know, so the, the, these ladies are great fighters in their own right, you know, and, and Terry Harper got in there and she'd done a job on each and every one of them. And then she, she had a hotly contested draw with Tasha Jonas. I'm in the same boat as you. I did give it to Natasha Jonas in a, in a tight fight. But, you know, a draw is a draw and, and Terry Harper moves on. But I think she's got a great record considering that she's only young, you know, with a real rags to riches story. I think she was working in a, a chip shop in Doncaster and now she's a world champion. You know, I'm sure one day there could be a movie script made out of that. You know, really, really excited for the future. But as you say, she's the... The future of female British boxing, you know, uh, with, with the following that she's got, the standing that she's got, and, and fights like Saturday night, you know, get in there, take care of your mandatory, and let's get back in there with Natasha Jonas in 2021. And, and, and in her eyes, write that wrong or write that kind of blemish on a record, if you like. Exactly. And like, like I mentioned before, having three fights like that proves that the women's divisions are getting stronger, especially the lighter you go. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for the future of Terry Harper. And the third world title fight on the bill is Rachel Ball. She's 6-1. and one. Uh, And a quick note on that there, the one loss on Rachel Ball's record actually came against the aforementioned uh, Katharina Thanders. You know, so I think that's quite interesting uh, given that Rachel Ball went on to defeat uh, uh, Shannon Courtney. And now she's fighting uh, Georgelina Guanina for the WBA, the vacant WBA bantamweight title. You know, Guanina is 9-1-2. and two. And I think with Rachel Ball, you know, she's... Definitely a case of the unknown. You know, she was brought in against Shannon Courtney um, as, as the away fighter, if you like. You know, Shannon being signed with Matchroom, and you know, it was it was looked at as a highly competitive fight, but one that uh, Shannon Courtney was expected to come through and, and maybe set up her own world title shot. You know, as it was, it didn't happen. Uh, Rachel Ball put in the, the, the fight of her career so far. She was she was a, a, a worthy winner, and and this on Saturday is her reward. You know, she's the She's in a world title fight, you know, a maiden world title fight, and it doesn't get much better than that. No, no, and she's got a great story, Rachel Ball, and she's upset the odds because you can look at this card and you can clearly see what it was meant to be. In Eddie's grand plan, this was meant to be Shannon Courtney's world title fight against somebody. Uh, it was not meant to be Rachel Ball's opportunity, but she's upset the apple cart and fight camp, and therefore she gets the opportunity, and I think that's only right. My only criticism of it is this is a 6-1 and one fighter fighting a 9-1-2 and two fighter for a world title. That does that to me doesn't uh, doesn't scream world title. If we look at the men's division, the WBA uh, bantamweight, uh, no, it's not bantamweight, it's super flyweight. The 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 men's super flyweight title was just contested between Roman Gonzalez, who was forty nine and two, and Israel Gonzalez, who was twenty five and two. It it's a bit of a different ball game when you uh, when you compare those two divisions, and I think I think the world title. Uh, tag that's being attached to this fight is a little bit premature and it's a little bit should be taken with a pinch of salt because for me it's not going to be world title calibre fighting yeah absolutely and you know given that you know Rachel Walsh you know if she was to pick up this this title and you know Shannon Courtney uh, picks up a victory you know in, a, in a, a fight back from that loss you know I'm sure that is the the grand plan, as you say you know I think originally Courtney was, was meant to be filling the void that Rachel Ball is currently filling um, and that was the, the the plan for Eddie Hearn. He's a big fan of Shannon Courtney, and I'm sure that's the fight moving forward that he will be eager to to make in 2021. Would be Rachel Ball against Shannon Courtney for that world title. You know, given you know, like you say, there's, there's not a, a lot of options out there. You know, I think around that kind of weight, we've got Amy Timlin as well. She had a draw in a Commonwealth title fight. You know, so if she can get back in there, maybe win that title. You know, she throws us a name into the mix. She's only young. She's 2021. You know, so. Although it's not there yet, as you mentioned at the start of this preview for the matchroom card, you know it's not on parity with the male counterparts just yet. You know, and it's quite a long way off, but it's growing, it's expanding, and 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 fights like this on Saturday 
uh, are going to be means for the course, you know, for, for the time being, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to be too critical, even though, even though I've just been very critical. There is there is movement and we are trying and we do have young talent coming through. You mentioned Amy Timlin, you know, her and Carly Skelly both look very good in their fight. You know, we can't, you know, it's, it's progressing at its own speed and we can't try and rush that uh, as much as we might want to. Absolutely. And, you know, we moved to the undercard on, on Saturday with the matchroom card. And, you know, originally we had John Doherty against Jack Arnfield and we had Jack Cullen against Jamie Cox. Injury, COVID test, whatever it may be, you know, those two fights fell apart. And what I love is that Jack Arnfield had to drop out and then we had to have uh, Jamie Cox drop out. So they just jumped in together. Jack Doc- uh, John Doherty and Jack Cullen have just jumped in together. And I love that kind of attitude that we'll... We've both not got an opponent. Let's fight each other, you know. And in in the build up to that fight, you know, there's I don't know whether it's Doc is his mindset. Every time he's in a fight, he likes to dislike his opponent. If that makes sense, you know, he, he really builds up some bad blood, some animosity, and he really uses that to you know motivate himself for that fight. And he's certainly done that with Jack Cullen. You know, today's press conference, there was you know a lot of uh, trash talking. And, and and I think it's going to lead to a great fight. You know, Jack Cullen, eighteen two and one. John Doherty undefeated at nine and zero. You know, it's 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 a great fight. It's a big risk for Doherty because Jack Cullen always comes to fight, and it's one that, I'm, as you can tell, I'm really excited to watch. And again, it has real big ramifications moving forward for the victor. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it, like you say, you mentioned that fighting attitude that the pair of them have gone. Well, I'll fight him then. You know, that's that's such a great attitude to have. It's it's only going to give you opportunities. You know, it's never gonna you're never gonna be that, that person saying I'll jump into a fight against a really dangerous fighter and that's gonna backfire. You know, you've got to be you've got to have that attitude. You've got to gamble on your own a bit. Doherty and Cullen have both done that. You know, it's a really great fight and I think that it's an acid test for John Doherty because there's lots of people in boxing who speak very highly about him and his skills. But if if he's not as legit as everybody says he is, Jack Cullen will find out. Jack Cullen is a veteran operator. Now he's you know he's he's still only a young lad himself, but he's had a lot more fights, and he will find your weakness if there is one in John Doherty. Yeah, absolutely, and I think there's there's two sides to Jack Cullen. You know, the the, there's the, the boxer that beat John Harden Jr. Uh, stopped him in eight rounds. You know, and the fact before that he beat Jack Sellers for the English title, and he really did look like he was going to move on and progress. And then the fight against Felix Cash was, you know, potentially fight of the year, certainly domestic. Domestically, one of the fights of the year um, on the uh, undercard of Katie Taylor against Vivian Obanoff back in November of, of last year. You know, that was a great fight. And Jacqueline was stopped in eight rounds by Felix Cash, but he, he more than adapted to that fight. You know, I think he was put down early and he looked like he was going to be stopped in the first round. And then he came back and he had moments of success himself, you know. And it really isn't in a bad fight. You know, he had that split decision draw with Zach Chell. You know, we, we mentioned it at the start of the podcast. It was really, really disputable. But it was a great fight. And, and, and you know, Jack Cullen, his, his nickname's Little Lever, Meat Cleaver, and that says it all. You know, he's all action. And as you say, John Doherty doesn't take a step backwards. And it's his it's, it's acid test. You know, if he moves to 10 and 0, and if he was to stop Jack Cullen, that'd be a really, really big statement. You know, I'm not too sure he does stop Jack Cullen. I'm not too sure the outcome of the fight altogether. You know, of course, with, with John Doherty being undefeated, he maybe starts as a slight favourite, but it's a great fight. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, I think it's going to tell us a lot about whoever wins. Yeah, most definitely. And also on the card, we have the uh, Tony Bellew protege, you know, and Thomas Whitaker Hart, 4-0, and he steps in with Jermaine Springer at 7-1. and And this is another one of those trade fights, if you like, one of these where they, they, they don't really need to take this kind of risk at this, this part of the career, but given the, the current landscape of boxing, you know, we're not getting these Latvian taxi drivers in or these... Uh, Bulgarian bin men, you know, we're, we're getting real fights. And again, this is a real fight for, for Whittaker at 4 0. You know, he's not really had any kind of step up. You know, he's had it fairly easy, you know, on some of the matching undercards given his affiliation with Tony Bellew. But this is a, a real test for him against Jermaine Springer, who will be looking to cause the upset, will be looking to come in as the away fighter and, and set up a big future for himself as well. Absolutely. It's going to be a fantastic fight. But I personally think Whittaker Hart's the real deal. I was in the arena for his last fight and he looked legit. And I've also stood next to him at press conferences, shook his hand, and he's absolutely enormous for light heavyweight. He is, I was chatting to him and Craig Glover and he's much bigger than Craig Glover and Craig Glover's a big cruiserweight. I don't know how he makes 175 pounds, but 
my God, is he big? And I think that that's going to tell when uh, Jermaine Springer gets to, to touch gloves and has to look up about a foot to find him. Yeah, most definitely. I think that that, that will be the, the most striking thing. And, of course, we'll see it tomorrow at the weigh-in. Um, where, where, you know, it'd be really interesting to look at the, the reaction. You know, there's not going to be too much in, in terms of facial expressions. But, you know, when J, uh, Jermaine Springer comes face-to-face with him for the face-off, you know, as you say, then he, he's going to see the physical dimensions of Whitaker Hart. And, you know, you, you, you've given him quite the build-up there. You know, you, you fancy him. Um, and, it, you know, he, he could have a bright future. And if he picks up the win here, you know, then he could certainly move on into title contention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I've I also spoke to Big David Price about him, uh, and David Price thinks he's you know as legit as they come. Uh, he said that I spoke to David Price about Thomas Whitaker. They obviously both train at the Rotunda Gym in Liverpool, and he said he's one of the best fighters he's seen come through that that legendary club. And David Price, you know, he's been around boxing a long time. He knows what he's talking about. So I've got a lot of faith in his opinion about uh, about Thomas Hart. Fantastic. And also on the card, uh, the, the, the long overdue, uh, much anticipated matchroom debut of, of Cash Farouk, you know, 13 and 1. You know, he's, he's going in against Angel uh, Avilas, uh, who's 20 and 5, you know, so he's, he's got quite a reasonably respectable record. Uh, but there's a lot of excitement around Cash Farouk, and I think it's really justified. He had that close, close fight with Lee McGregor uh, for the British title, and the, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a great fight. The, Com- the Commonwealth uh, Bantamweight title is on the line there as well. And, you know, some people had Varouk winning, Lee McGregor did pick up the win, but there's a lot of excitement around Cash Farouk and really excited to see him finally make his matchroom debut, you know, given that it's it's been delayed a couple of times now. And as always, you know, 2020 boxing so heavily affected by COVID and by the pandemic. But finally, Farouk, fingers crossed, steps in the ring on Saturday and makes his matchroom yeah, debut. Yeah, exactly. You know, I didn't know anything about Cash Farouk until he fought Lee McGregor. And then I, I th- watched what I thought was him beating Lee McGregor handily. So I'm really excited to uh, to see him uh, get in the ring and really hit the big stage. He's not had a lot of luck over the last couple of months and uh, I think uh, getting his big break will really do him some good and propel him forward, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and this is going to be his first fight since that Lee McGregor uh, loss, you know, almost 12 months to the day, in fact. And, you know, I think he's, he's quite lucky. You know, he's only young, he's 24 and, you know, he's already got 14 fights on his record. So he's, he's not going to be ended too much, hopefully, you know, and, I think if he gets in there and you know he puts in a reasonably good performance, but then he looks to get busy again in 2021 and he can really push on. Who knows? You know, maybe look for that Lee McGregor rematch. You know, there's plenty of options down there at bantamweight and super bantamweight. If he decides to move up, you know, there's a lot of good fights around there at British level, at European level, before he even has to move on to world level. So yeah, he certainly wants to keep an eye on Clash Farouk. Yeah, 100. So let's move on to. Arguably the most high-profile fight of the week, depending on how you all look at things. You know, we've got the debatable pound-for-pound number one, uh, Terence Bud Crawford, 36-0, 27 knockouts. He's the reigning WBO welterweight champion. He's, he was undisputed at 140 pounds. He was world champion at lightweight. He's, 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 he's not a lot you can say about Crawford. That's not already been said. You know, he's a switch hitter. He's a big puncher. He can fight. Uh, he, can, he, can, he can make good fighters look ordinary. And he's going in with our very own Special K Brook, Cal Brook, the, you know, the, the, the special one. You know, he's himself, you know, he's 41 fights, 39 wins, two losses, 27 knockouts himself. And is this the last chance saloon for Cal Brook? You know, this is, the, this is the big thing that's been following this fight. There's not a lot of uh, British uh, media giving this the uh, due build-up. You know, it's kind of gone under the radar given the, the, the story with Cal Brook with Matchroom and Eddie Hearn, which we're going to touch on in this preview. And it's kind of gone under the radar when the fight was officially announced. I think we had five, six weeks notice. You know, I think Brook in his head has had a lot more time than that to, to prepare. Hopefully he's had a lot more time than that to prepare anyway because this is the biggest fight of his life. Um, but yeah, you would break it down for me. Crawford, Brook. Oh, I really, really, really hope Kel can do it. I'm a massive Kel Brook fan. Um, I've got a lot of time for Kel Brook, but it is, it is climbing a mountain with weights on your back, isn't it, trying to fight Terence Crawford? He, he can do everything. He can do everything perfectly. He can fight Southpaw. He can fight Orthodox. He can box. He can punch. He can move. He can brawl. Everything you want out of a fighter, Terence Crawford has. And he's adaptable within those fights. You know, he can, he can attack, defend. It, whatever you do, he can flow into a separate state to counteract you. You know, wherever your cracks are, he'll fill them. Wherever your weaknesses are, he'll exploit them. And wherever you reach out 
out of line for a single second, he'll take it and he'll make you pay for it. And the Keller five years ago was a similar, not not maybe not level, but a similar type of fighter in that you had to be perfect to beat him. You know, he was he was a great puncher. He was slick. He was a mover, but. It all depends on how much Kel's got left. Um, I, I again, I'm a massive Kelbrook fan, and I'll be rooting for him to pull off the uh, the Hunnigan-esque upset on Saturday night. But it's a tough task. Yeah, absolutely. You know, given that Crawford has that pound for pound standing, um, you know, Crawford at 33, you know, he's only just younger than the 34 year old Kelbrook. But there's a lot of more wear and tear, shall we say, for Kelbrook. You know, those eye injuries against uh, Errol Spence, and then uh, before that, Gennady Golovkin. You know, we took heavy, heavy damage in both fights. You know, but let's just go back to, you know, we'll try and do this in some sort of chronological order. Um, we'll go back to 2014. Kel uh, Brook, undefeated, goes over to fight Sean Porter, who also was undefeated. And at that point, he was a wrecking ball. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd stopped Polly Malinagi and he'd picked up the IBF welterweight title. And Brook went in as the away fighter. And, you know, he, I wouldn't say he was dominant, but I think for me, he was a clear winner. That was back in 2014. And, and that version of Kel Brook was arguably the best welterweight on the planet. You know, six years on, it's a different story. But back in 2014, you and what was your thoughts on Kelbrook? Again, I thought he beat I thought he beat Porter better than anyone's ever beaten Porter. You know, he's he, even in even in beating Sean Porter, it's never a nasty, it's never a nice fight. It's never an easy fight. Kel's the one that's done it the best. And you have to recognise his achievements because we know we talk as I mentioned Lloyd Hunnigan there, you know, we're talking about the likes of John H. Tracy, Jose Napoles or Lloyd Hunnigan, Donald Curry. You know, we're talking about those magnitude fights. Kel Brook versus Sean Porter's already on that list. If if he can do it twice, you know, if he can beat a real world star twice and he can beat one of the pound-for-pound best in Crawford, you know, he's going to go down in history. And like you say, I personally believe that there was a very short time, you know, where Kel Brook, it's maybe 2015, where Kel Brook was probably the best active welterweight champion in the world. You know, because by that point, you know, you had Pacquiao Mayweather doing different stuff and, and, and waning in their careers. Kel Brook was active fighting champions. You know, I really, really have a lot of time and respect for Kel Brook and his skills. But yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it's, it, all, it all hinges on how much Kel Brook is left in this Kel Brook. Yeah, most definitely. So for the other side of the coin, back in 2014, we had Terence Crawford. Uh, and I think it's quite interesting. He won his... his, his his first world title also in 2014, you know, and that was down at 135 pounds and he beat Scotland's Ricky Burns. You know, he came over to Glasgow as the away fighter. And I have to admit at that point, you know, I just thought he was just another American upstart. You know, he did, he was undefeated, but he'd not had a lot of great names on his record, but he'd come over and he really done a number on Ricky Burns, you know, and, uh, you know, there, there was no mean feet back then. Ricky Burns was, you know, a, a proud world champion. He had that disputable fight with uh, Raymond Beltran, but apart from that, Ricky Burns was, was a, a good champion and, as we mentioned earlier, you know, Crawford has this knack, this ability to make good look ordinary. And he's certainly done that. And I think, you know, at that point, uh, you know, we had Bud Crawford at 135 pounds as champion and we had Kel Brook up at 147. You know, this this fight was a million miles away at that point because we always looked at Kel Brook moving up in weight. You know, and as much as Crawford was always going to move up in weight, I seriously thought that Kel Brook was going to be a, a seasoned campaigner at 154 pounds at, at this stage of his career, and you know he's, he's went up and he's tested the waters. But the money fights are at 147 pounds, clearly. But yeah, back in 2014, you and my original point, Crawford picks up his main and world title at 135 pounds. What was your initial thoughts on Terrence Crawford when he first came into your radar? Again, I, I didn't really um, have a great deal of opinion about him. You know, beating Ricky Burns is a great feat, and then he went on to beat Beltran, who you mentioned, and Gamboa as well. And then on to Postol, you know, he he is he was on the radar, but he was a slow burn. You know, Kel Brook shot to the top, you know, with Dom Ingle, and he and he dis, you know he did a number on Sean Porter. You know, we were all hyped about Kel Brook, but for me in 2015, when these two were 2014, 2015, when they were establishing themselves as world champions side by side in very different weight classes, you know, one of them for me was going to be a big world star, a two weight world champion, and the other guy was, you know a very good fighter, 135 pounds, but I didn't know his potential. And the trajectories then, if you'd have told me in 2014, 2015, that one guy would be a three-weight unified, well, two-weight 
world, three-weight world champion, one-weight unified world champion. The other guy would have gone up to middleweight, got knocked out, and then got knocked out back down again at, at welterweight in a world title fight. I would have told you you were silly. But that's where we are now, and that's the situation we find ourselves in. And, and that's why we love boxing, because you can't predict it. Four years later, and we're in a completely different scenario than we could have ever predicted. Yeah, absolutely. So if we, you know, we keep switching uh, and we give our opinions on each guy's uh, career trajectory from that maiden world title win to where we're at now. And of course, Kelbrook, after that Sean Porter win, you know, the the the, the, the stabbing incident, you know, we, we never really got to the bottom of that. You know, I think it was out in Tenerife, and you know, he, he was lucky to even walk again and then get back in the ring. Never mind be world champion. You know, uh, as I say, we never really got to the bottom of that. In you know, make of it what you will, but he suffered some horrific injuries and he'd done really well to get himself back into, you know, he's always in great shape and he'd done very well to get himself into fighting shape, you know, be it physically and mentally. But once he did return to the ring, you know, and, and, and if we forgive him the Jojo Dan as his homecoming title defence, he then went on to fight Frankie Gavin, who wasn't the professional boxer we had hoped for, given that he was such a standout amateur star. And then he also defended against Kevin Bizier. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's not really three names that jump off the sheet. You know, when you're looking at box record, when you're looking at Kelbrook's record, you know, and we, we we was always promised the next one would be the big fight. The next one would be the big fight. And those three fights consecutively really, for me, derailed Kelbrook's hopes of ever being a true pound-for-pound star. You know, it really stagnated his his growth. You know, we had Danny Garcia, we had uh, Keith Thurman. Um, they, they was doing their thing over in America in, in the 147-pound division and we had uh, Sean Porter, he'd rebuilt since that loss. And I just think there was so many options stateside for Kelbrook to, to really flourish and become a, a real true superstar of the game. Those three fights will always stick out for me when I look on the record of Kelbrook because that's why it went wrong. You know, do we put the blame on the, the the stabbing incident and they never really built the momentum after Sean Porter? Do we put the blame with Kelbrook for not being ambitious enough or do we put the blame with Eddie Hearn? You know, where do you sit on that, you? I'm not sure who there is to blame, um, but it is a tragedy. It's one of the great lost eras because the, the guy that beat Sean Porter, for me, beats Keith Thurman and he beats Danny Garcia as well. He was... Absolutely. He, he, was, he was the guy and that was one, that's the biggest win. Out of all of those guys, that's Sean Porter in 2014. That's one of the biggest wins out that any of those guys have had, you know. You know, Danny Garcia's got a big win over Amir Khan, but Kelbrook beating Sean Porter in the way that he did is one of the biggest wins that any of them have as a collective. You know, he could have really made a name for himself in the States, and yet we had Frankie Gavin at the O2, and we had Jojo Dan in the Sheffield Arena. It's just, it really, really is a, a tragedy of, of lost potential in that, in that kind of two-and-a-half-year period. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, maybe that was... Part of the reason, you know, the, the, the loss for the big fight, the, the, the will it, won't it with Amir Khan, which I'm not going to get into now because we've touched on that before and it's, it's, it's an absolute disgrace that that fight in itself didn't happen. But, you know, that that fight was always lingering and, and you know, the, Kel Brooks, you know, I, I have no doubt that he was uh, ambitious and, and that he was craving the fight with a Floyd Mayweather or with a Manny Pacquiao or with a Danny Garcia, you know, and I think that played a massive part in him stepping up um, when when Chris Eubank famously lost his pen and Kelbrook stepped in to save the pay-per-view for Matt Drew and he stepped in there with the wrecking ball you know at the time you know he's a, Glovkin even now in 2020 is, is, is a frightening prospect but back in uh, 2017 when, when Kelbrook jumped in there with uh, Golovkin at £160 you know it really really did take me by surprise I was shocked uh, I was slightly worried. I was fully behind Kelbrook and I really did support him. Um, and he performed admirably in the early rounds. But I think those three fights um, and, and, and the lack of an American fight, the lack of a Floyd Mayweather fight, all manifested itself into Kelbrook taking what, in hindsight, was a huge mistake and a massive risk in the Glovkin fight. Yeah, you don't move up two weight classes and then fight the best fighter that that weight class has seen for probably 10, 15 years. It, Gennady Golovkin was at the peak of his hot streak, you know, then he'd, he'd beaten everybody there was to beat 160 pound. And then Kelbrook decides not just to go up to junior middleweight and fight a world champion there. He decides to go and fight the man at 160 pound. It, it was a suicide mission for Kel. And it was, it was, you know, he did, he fought admirably and he, he tried his best, but ultimately there was never a way he was going to win that fight. You know, it was, he was too small and he can have all the skill in the world. Sometimes you are too small. That's why we have weight classes in boxing and Gennady Golovkin 
just smashed him to bits. And he's never been the same fighter. And, and again, that's another tragedy of Kel's career. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and again, we flip to the other side. Terence Crawford, in the meantime, of, of while Kel Brook was challenging uh, Gennady Golovkin, he was becoming undisputed at 140 pounds. You know, again, it's such a rare occurrence in the modern game where we can get one boxer to hold awful titles and Crawford was lucky enough to do that at 140 pounds. He was dominant there. And, you know, I think at that point, the plan was always to clean up and to move up. And he, he certainly done that with ruthless efficiency. You know, I think the, the final fight when he won all the title against Julius and Dongo, you know, that was a destructive performance and it really did epitomise his pound-for-pound pound ranking, you know, that he was up there at number one, number two, or number three. And, and then it set him up for the move up to £147. But yeah, he really dominant at £140. He didn't hang around after moving up from lightweight and he just picked up all four titles. He looked effortless in doing so and really, at that point for me, elevated himself into pound-for-pound pound superstardom. Absolutely, absolutely. Julius Ndongo, fresh off boxing ears off Ricky Burns, you know, and and <sighs> Terence Crawford, like you say, makes good fighters look average. He made Julius Ndongo look terrible. And he wasn't terrible. He was a very good fighter. He was 22-0 and 0 at the time. And Crawford stepped in there and smashed him to bits. And then he went up to welterweight and did exactly the same to Jeff Horn. You know, smashed him to pieces, knocked him out. It was, it was an, a meteoric rise. And in those two fights, he really put himself in my top 10 pound for pound list. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is something I'll get your opinion on you. And, and you know, I, I don't want to stretch the podcast out too long because we really could dissect this fight in so many different ways. But... Terence Crawford at £147. You know, you look at his, his run of victories. You know, he picked up the WBO title, of course, against Jeff Horn. He went on to fight uh, Jose Benavides, uh, stopping him in the 12th round. He then bizarrely stopped Amir Khan in the 6th round. Did Khan quit? Was, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it, was, it was a washed-up Amir Khan anyway. And then he fought the machine, uh, Cavalucas. You know, I think I butchered his name there. But that in itself, you know, although it's not as lacking in star quality is the run Kel uh, Brook went on himself at £147 it, again it doesn't scream pound for pound superstardom which you know Crawford as a talent is but his run at £147 isn't you know and there's, there's two things I want you to answer there in that kind of statement is your thoughts on, on his run at £147 and is Crawford on the wrong side of the street when it comes to getting those big fights it's really hard because he hasn't got the big fights and you're right and that's really hindered his career and hindered his, his profile. But at the same time, if you look at, you know, the great Errol Spence Jr. who was with PBC, he's fought a washed up Lamont Peterson who was never very good anyway. Obviously fought Kel in Britain, which is a great win. Uh, but then he beat Sean Porter, who Kel's beat, and then £135 Mikey Garcia who basically had to put rocks in his pocket to make well uh, make welterweight. So... I'm not particularly impressed by Errol Spence's either, or even Keith Thurman's, who's just got beat by Manny Pacquiao. You know, he might be on the wrong side of the street, but the Cavalucas guy, you know, although unknown, he was he was rocking up with a with a 21 21-0-1 record, and he got stopped in nine rounds. Amir Khan, you know, we've seen what Amir Khan does, stops him in six rounds. He, although he struggled to get opponents, the PBC guys haven't had way better opponents. And the tragedy is that they're not fighting each other. They need to be fighting each other because neither of them are fighting great fighters. The, the two, there are two on-track simultaneous world champions at welterweight at the moment. And ultimately, unless they fight each other, they are fighting mediocre opponents. And that's the head and the tail of it for me. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to disagree. You know, I think the one thing that does stand out for me, and, you know, as long as the fight happens, of course, is given that he was in the, the car accident, I don't want to go too off subject, but the fact that uh, Errol Spence Jr. is coming back from such a, uh, a blemish off off his boxing record. You know, he could have lost his life, never mind anything else. And he's lucky to be walking, talking and being active and he's getting back in and resuming his boxing career at the high level of taking on somebody of the calibre of Danny Garcia. So I think that says a lot about Errol Spence. And, you know, I'm not for one minute saying that Crawford wasn't, wouldn't take on those kind of challenges. You know, I watched some of the build-up content from top rank and when asked if he could take on you know, a list of opponents. He said he'd take on Manny Pacquiao first, Errol Spence, Keith Firm and Danny Garcia. And I have no doubt if the contract was put in front of him to have a four-fight series like that, he'd snap the hands off. And you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, we don't want to talk too much about the business, but this is what murks the water. If those guys represented themselves, if they didn't need the promotional outfits and their TV channels, they'd fight each other in a car park, I'm sure. Exactly, exactly. But that that is simultaneously why we do and don't need promoters because we don't need them because we want to see the fights. But 
if you're mental enough to go in, in getting a boxing ring in front of 100,000 people and knock seven bells out of each other with another trained killer, you're the sort of guy that'll have a scrap in a car park for free. Do you know what I mean? You, they, we yeah. need these people to, to, to basically support what is ultimately guys who are trained to kill, to train to seek and destroy one another, elite athletes with dynamite in each hand. You know, we can't have that in an unsanctioned way. But yeah, I understand where you're coming from. And the business side of it is, it's almost an unfortunate necessity of boxing. Yeah, absolutely. So you, in, in a few uh, brief sentences, sum up Terence Crawford and Kelbrook for me, how it's going to play out. Unfortunately for me, it's going to be a long night. I think that uh, I think that Kelbrook will have success early, but ultimately cutting that much weight, he struggled to make welterweight his entire career, and then he hasn't made it for several years. I think that his stamina will pay later on. Crawford will, will be able to switch stances, baffle him as he gets tired, and force a late stoppage. I'm going to say uh, Terence Crawford, TKO, 10 to 12. Big call, you know, for, for myself, you know, it's difficult to disagree with what you're saying now. You know, I'm always going to support Kel Brook. I've always been a big fan of his. Um, although, in a totally separate argument, I've always thought American beats him. But in this fight, I think both guys are switch hitters. I think both can box, both can fight, both can go to war. Uh, they could easily both put on a masterclass against the right opponent. But I just believe that Terence Crawford does everything better than Kel Brook. Uh, and I think that's what we're going to see in this fight. Um, I think that. Crawford will uh, outbox and befuddle Kel Brook. You know, he says that he's in the best shape of his career, but we heard that when he went up to middleweight and we heard that when he was at 154 pounds and then we heard it when he came back down to 147 against Errol Spence. You know, Kel Brook always looks phenomenal, but it's how he performs on the night and is this one step too far? He's 34 years of age, he's had problems with both eye sockets. It's just not going to play out well for him. Crawford is a superstar. He's 33, but he's a young 33 and this is just another stepping stone towards the Errol Spence fight for me for Terence Crawford. And for me, it's a unanimous decision victory for Terence Crawford. I'm well behind Kel Brook. I really hope he can do it. But my closing statement is that for me, Kel Brook has dared to be great one too many times and he's took on one too many fights at the wrong time in his career. And this is just another example of that, unfortunately. I couldn't agree more. I'll be up in the middle of the night shouting for Kel, but I'm not hopeful. Absolutely. You know, he's lost... The, the, the influence of Sky and Eddie Hearn and Matchroom and of course something that we can't go on without mentioning is Domingle. You know, the, the Domingle didn't want to take a part camp with Kel Brook, you know, and he had other commitments and again the COVID situation affected that and that's gonna play a huge part in, in the outcome of the fight as well, I believe. Exactly, yeah. You know, Kel's been in the Winker Bank since he was nine years old. This is his first fight without somebody named Ingle in the corner. That is not a good thing, you know. That is only making a bad situation worse for Kel Brook, in my opinion. Unfortunately so. But, you know, like we say, he's got the full support of, of myself and you and the Simbox team and a lot of British boxing fans. And it promises to be a great fight no matter what. You know, Kel Brook's always going to come to win um, and catch a fight in Premier Sports. But, Ewan, we've got Friday night with BT and Frank Warren, Mark Efron, Denzel Bentley. We've got Matchroom on Saturday night. And then, of course, early hours Sunday, we've got Crawford and Brook on Premier Sports. It promises to be a fascinating watch. I'm really excited to watch all the action. We'll put our thoughts out on social media as we always do. And we'll catch up again on next week's episode of Let's Talk Boxing and break it all down again. Ewan, thanks for your time today. Take care. Thanks, Luke.